We're back in Exodus, and uh, though we have a big chapter break here in Exodus chapter 4, we haven't left the scene uh, at the burning bush. We have have Moses speaking with God, and you remember in chapter 3 of Exodus, God has come to Moses through the burning bush and has told him, you're now going to go and deliver my people. It's time for you to go back to Egypt. It's time for you to be the one who will set the people free. And remember, Moses' first response is is a very humble response. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Really a great response by by Moses. Why would you choose me? Who am I that I would do such a thing? And, And God's response is very simple. I will be with you. That's all you need. I I will be with you. And and Moses' second concern then in chapter 3 was that who is he going to say to the children of Israel sent him? Uh, I can't just kind of say, well, I was talking to a bush that was on fire and now we should leave Egypt. How am I going to convince them and show them that you came to me? And, And God's response was very impressive. God said, I am who I am, that that God is with you and will always be with you and he will be with you at this time of of deliverance. You tell them that the I am has sent you to them. So that was what chapter 3 was about as God expressed who he was, who he is, and who he continues to be as he speaks to Moses. We come now into chapter 4, though, and we're going to see that that Moses is not done with his concerns about this mission that God has sent him on. You'll notice chapter 4, verse 1 of the book of Exodus. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And so this is his concern. They're, They're going to say that you didn't talk to me and they're not going to listen to me. Now that answer is interesting because back in chapter 3 and in verse 18, God was very clear to Moses and said, when you go, they're going to listen to your voice. You and the elders of Israel are going to go to the king of Egypt. So already just a little bit earlier in the conversation, God had said, they're going to listen to you. You're going to go to them and they're going to hear you and they're going to listen to what you have to say and you and the elders are all going to go before Pharaoh and you're going to declare this to to Pharaoh to let the people go. But here's Moses saying, "I, I know you say that. But they're not going to listen to me. And we spoke last time about that hesitancy was based in a reality that, remember, Moses tried to deliver the people of Israel 40 years earlier, and the people had rejected Moses and said, who are you to be a judge and a ruler over us? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And thus Moses ran ran away. And so now Moses gives this concern and says, they're not going to believe me, they're not going to listen to me, and they will say the Lord did not appear to you. I want you to listen to how God handles that in verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, it became a serpent, and Moses ran away from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. 
Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. I hope we appreciate what God does there. Here is Moses going, they're not going to believe me. And what God does is amazing. You'll notice that here God gives three impressive signs to give to Moses so that when he goes to the people and says, the Lord has sent me to be your deliverer, that we are going to go free from this land and we're going to go before Pharaoh and we're going to stand in front of him and we're going to tell him to let us go. And here are these signs so that you will know that the Lord our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Three impressive signs. One. That staff would become a snake and then turn back into a staff again. I always love that scene. Throw that staff on the ground, turns to the snake, and he runs. I'm like, that's me. You know, just, ah! <laughs> you know, he's out of there. And it shows a realism of, wow, look at what just happened. And now God says, go pick it up by the tail, and it turns back into a staff again. And if that were not enough, if they don't believe that sign, God says, I'll give you another sign. Then put your hand inside your cloak and then it would come back out leprous and white. And then to put it back into the cloak again and come back and it would be whole again. And then God says, and even if they won't believe those two signs, I'll give you even a third one. That you would take some water out of the Nile and pour it onto the ground and it would turn to blood. What we see God doing here, I think is... So impressive because what God is going to do throughout this chapter, as he's already done in the third chapter, is answer all of Moses' concerns. Moses says, I don't think they're going to believe me. They're not going to follow me. And God doesn't get angry with Moses and say, would you just go already? He says, all right, I'll give you a sign. In fact, I'll give you three signs so that you will have confidence to know that you can go and do this task. And one of the things that I think you have God doing here that is so impressive is that is you have Moses essentially being told, don't worry about the fact that you believe nobody's going to listen to you. Just go do it. You don't get to not do this task because you think nobody's going to listen to you. This is what Moses is saying. If I go, they're not going to listen to me. You got to get somebody else. Yeah, they're not going to listen to me. I've already tried that. They don't want to hear what I have to say. And notice God goes, yeah, you're right. You know, I'll get somebody else. He says, I'll answer those concerns. Don't worry about that. I'll give you the signs that you need. It's not about trying to guess the outcome and go, well, because I don't believe that they're not going to listen to me, they're not going to hear what I have to say, therefore I have an excuse of not doing this work. How often do we do that? How easy it is for us to take the task that God has given us and say, well, I don't think anybody's going to believe me. Nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to hear what I have to say. They're not going to follow the the things I'm trying to tell them. They're not going to listen if I give them the gospel. They're not going to listen if I tell them about the things of God. 
And notice that God's concern is not about, well, if they're not going to listen, I guess you shouldn't do it. In fact, I would like for you to think about how many times does God send somebody with the full expectation that not a single person is going to listen? A lot. Noah. Nobody's going to listen. At best, he saved seven if his family members were all unbelievers. And at worst, he saved none because they were already believers. The whole world didn't listen to Noah. We've been studying Jeremiah. Who's listening to Jeremiah? Nobody. Not a single person's listening to Jeremiah. All of these years he spends his whole life proclaiming the message of what's going to happen from the days of Josiah all the way to the structure of Jerusalem. Who listens to him? Nobody. How about Isaiah? Isaiah is an amazing commission. Remember what God told Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6. And in verse 9, here's what God says. He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, that's Isaiah speaking, how long, O Lord? And he said, this is God speaking, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Now, how many of us, if we were Isaiah, if God came and said, now here's how it's going to go. I want you to go preach to the people and you're going to tell them that they're all going to keep hearing your words, but not a single one is going to do anything about it. They're going to keep hearing, but they're not going to listen. They're going to keep perceiving, but they're not going to understand. It's just going to go in one ear and out the other. It's not going to resonate. It's not going to hit their heart. They're not going to change. How many of us would go, well, why are we doing this? (laughs) If nobody's going to listen, if nobody's going to change, why do we bother? And Isaiah even asks, well, how long do I have to keep doing that? How long do I have to keep telling people who don't want to listen and that they're not listening and they need to change? Did you hear God's answer? Until I judge them. That's when you'll stop. You keep teaching until judgment finally falls. It's not about, well, go ahead and stop because you don't think they're going to listen. God knows they're not going to listen. In fact, we have a great example of that. The perfect teacher arrives on the scene. Jesus, the Son of God, He comes on the scene and He's teaching. And how did that go for Him? Tons of people rejected Him. Many disciples come to Him and many turn away from Him. The point is that we're not supposed to be concerned with the response. I I think too often we get so concerned about what we perceive the response is going to be, that we choose not to do the work because we presume the outcome. And God doesn't care what the outcome is. That's not our concern. And that's what he's telling Moses. You just go. You just go tell them. Here, I'll give you some signs that you go tell them. Don't worry if you think they're going to believe or not believe. He tells to Noah, you go preach to the world for hundreds of years and nobody's going to listen to you. Uh, uh, how about uh, Isaiah? You go preach to the people. They're not going to listen to you. Jeremiah, they're going to throw you in a dungeon in a pit. They're going to not listen to you. 
But yet nobody's alleviated from the task to say, well, I don't have to do the task that is given to me. It is really not our concern about the response of the people because their response is not a rejection of us, but is a rejection of God. That's perhaps the hardest thing to really take to heart. We perceive the rejection of how we try to talk to people and teach people as, well, they're rejecting me. I'm doing such a terrible job. No, they're not. They're not rejecting you at all. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting the message that God has, and it's not about us. That's why we go and keep saying and keep saying and keep saying, because it is a rejection of God. And just because people will not listen to us, because people reject the things that we say, does not mean that we are excused from the task of sharing the gospel with other people. It's amazing how God deals with Moses' concern. He doesn't say, well, okay. He says, no, you're going to go, and I'm going to give you everything you need for the task. I'm going to give you everything that you need to accomplish what you need to do. This is not enough for Moses. You'll notice verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Have you ever read the words of Moses and never got that control and that conclusion that you thought, boy, Moses must have really been a terrible speaker. <laughs> you know, the whole book of Deuteronomy is the speech of Moses as he stands up before the people. Interesting that Moses says, I'm not very good at talking to people. I, I never have been in the past. And I love how he even says, I'm not even doing a good job right now. (laughs) This is not going well with me saying the right words. It's never gone well. I've never been eloquent. I've been slow of speech. I am slow of tongue. And, And I want us to consider how easily we would identify with that excuse, right? I don't know what to say. I don't talk well. You know, I, I stumble over my words. Uh, I I get nervous, I freeze up, you know, I'm a deer in the headlights when I try to start talking, and so I just can't do that. I always tell you guys, you should have seen me in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I mean, it's a good thing there's a podium, because you'll see knees knocking and shaking and uh, fear and all those kinds of things. We all experience that, just the fear of, okay, well, I'm not going to say the right thing, and I don't know what to say, and I'm not going to say it very well. And so I'm not a good speaker, so how could I possibly proclaim this message? That's what Moses is saying. I can't be the one to do this. I'm not a good talker. You're asking me to go preach to the people of Israel and tell them that you sent me, and then you're telling me to go stand before Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go? Uh, You've got the wrong guy. I'm not a good speaker. God's answer in verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Now do you like God's response there? Two two facets to what what God says there. First of all, what you see God doing is saying, Now, Moses, who made your mouth? Just think about that one for a minute, Moses. And then to go a little bit further, what you're saying then is that when you say you cannot go and speak, you're essentially saying that God 
made a mistake with you. He did a bad job with your mouth and the whole creation process of, uh, of your body. You really messed up when you made my mouth and that's why I'm tongue-tied. That's why I can't say anything. That's what God is saying. Do you understand who made your mouth? Well, how easy it is for us to use our human frailties and our limitations and our weaknesses as an excuse as to why we can't do the work. Well, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I don't talk very well. I don't speak off the top of my feet really well. I have terrible memory. You know, I can't remember where those things are in the scripture. Somebody asked me a question. I just kind of freeze and pass out because I'm so scared, you know. And we, we have all of these excuses of why we think we can't do all these kinds of things. And I want you to hear what God is saying. God says, I know your abilities. I know your limitations. I know what you're able to do. I made you. Who made your mouth? Who made your brain? Who made all of those things? God knows exactly who you are and how He's made you. And yet even at that, God is saying that is not an excuse for not doing the work. How silly it would be for the clay to complain to the potter regarding how it was made. Well, that's essentially what we were doing. Well, you just didn't make me very smart. You didn't make me very quick on my feet. You didn't make me with a good memory or a good tongue or any of those kinds of things. And here is God overcoming that by saying, I know how I made you. I know your abilities and I know your limitations and how easy it is for us to say, I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm, I'm a male. I'm a female. I have some other kind of condition. And these are the reasons why I can't do it. And it's silly on our part to take the physical attributes and say before God, well, because I don't think I'm very good at something, therefore I can't do it. And that's what Moses is is trying to do. But I love that even with that, did you notice that God doesn't say, would you just get out there and talk? I made your mouth. Verse 12, I will be with your mouth and I'll teach you what to speak. You know, I made your mouth, so stop complaining. I made your mouth, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you in this. I will be with you when you go and I will teach you things to say. Sounds very familiar to the New Testament, the apostles, doesn't it? Jesus tell I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, this, this comforter, this advocate. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll tell you what to say. I'm not going to leave you empty-handed here. I'm going to give you the words you need, Moses. And so here is God saying, okay, I'm going to be with you. Two times now, three times actually, God has said, I'm going to be with you to do this. Look at verse 13. But he said... Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Well, we like that one, right? Somebody else can do it. Just, Lord, get somebody else to be the one. I mean, to to go. I mean, think about all the people God could have chosen to go back to Egypt and set the people free and to be the deliverer. And Moses is saying, okay, just not me. Choose somebody else. I don't want this. I don't want this task. It's too great. It's too difficult. It's going to be too too much. 
And how easy it is for us to have that also that same attitude. Well, just send somebody else. We'll get the preacher to do it. We'll get somebody else to do it. Somebody else or get the elders. They're, they're really smart. You know, we'll get somebody else to do the work. We don't have to do it. We'll get somebody else. I want you to notice God's response this time. Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I want you to just stop and think about that. Up to this point, everything that Moses has said, all of his concerns, God has addressed. You know, well, who am I that I should do this? Well, who should I say sent me? Well, they're not going to believe me if I go. Well, I'm not a good speaker. I don't know what to say. I've never been able to, to, to speak. But when Moses says, get somebody else to do it. The anger of the Lord now is aroused. That's the one thing you can't say to God. We cannot tell God, somebody else do it, not me. I'm not going to do it. There's others that should do it. They're better. They're better speakers. They're, they're, you know, they've got all the better ideas. They're going to be the ones that do it. And I'm not going to do it. And I just want you to consider, this is the time after all of these things that Moses has said. And it isn't the various excuses and concerns that Moses has had. It's this particular concern to say, I don't want to do it. That's when God says... That's not going to work for me. And notice what God continues, though, to do. Middle of verse 14. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Are you impressed by what God does there? God does not go, I am so angry with you that you want to get out of it. French fry, next man up. Okay. Notice he says, I'm going to help you. Your answer, Moses, is wrong. You don't get to say, I don't want to do this. Get somebody else. But the Lord still helps Moses and says, okay, go get your brother. And notice how it's described. God says, I will speak to you, Moses. And Moses, you will speak to Aaron. And so now you have Moses operate almost in a prophet fashion here of, okay, God is going to speak directly to Moses and Moses is going to speak directly to Aaron and Aaron's going to be the one to speak, which is very interesting because you really don't read about Aaron speaking too much. But this is to alleviate the concern. You go and you do it with your brother. Why is it that we think when it comes to proclaiming the message of the gospel and talking to friends and neighbors, co-workers, things like that, that we have to do this all by ourselves. I don't know. But notice what's God's great answer to that concern. Okay, take somebody with you. 
That solves that. <laughs> Take somebody with you now. Okay, now you can go. Moses, you're so concerned uh, about going by yourself that you just can't do any of those things. Well, then take somebody with you. And that's what he tells them. Okay, get Aaron and Aaron will be the one who will go. Is there anything stopping us from taking somebody with us to share the gospel? What a great thing to do is to do it together. For some reason, we feel like we have to just be all by ourselves. And I know the feeling. I'm going to go out there. We're going to have a heart attack as we try to do this because we're so scared. And I'm going to freeze up. Well, let me have somebody go with you. And that's what God is giving Moses. Moses, then take Aaron with you. And you go. And now you have these signs. You're going to take your staff. And now you have Aaron with you. And I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to tell you what to say. All of the concerns that Moses puts forward are addressed. This, I think, is one of the big things that we see God doing. And it's a message that we have to hear about our responsibility that is given to us in the work that we have to do is that all of our excuses and all of our concerns, they have an answer from God. We should not think that we will be able to stand before God on the day of judgment and think that there's going to be this ace in the whole excuse that God's going to go, you're right, you didn't have to do the work of the kingdom of God because you weren't a good speaker, you're right. Or you were afraid, okay, you know, or any of these excuses. We just didn't know what to say. God addresses all of those concerns. And that's what I think is so precious about this chapter is God is saying, I have an answer for those things. The problem is not that Moses had these concerns. We're going to have all of these concerns. We're going to have these fears. All of us experience that. It would just be... Honest and up from the table. Don't look around and think that some of us here are just have, you know, uh, ice in the blood and they just have no fear whatsoever in, in going to talking to our friends and neighbors and strangers and co-workers. I, I have a, you know, mild heart attack in the process. It's, it's fearful. But it's what God's called us to do. That's the task. And we don't have the ability to stand before God and say, send somebody else. Somebody else can do it. Somebody's better at it. That's not what God has given to us. Think about how many places that God has called us to this task. Ephesians 2, a beautiful chapter talking about those first three chapters, the condition of of sin that we are in, but God who has saved us by His grace and concludes that in verse 10 by saying, for we are His workmanship, And we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why we're here. We're made, we're created by Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for her beforehand that we should walk. That's why we're here. We can't turn to God and say, I'm a Christian, I'm in Christ Jesus, but I'm not going to do anything. No, you were made for good works. This is part of the job that's given to us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. To do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You know, we can look out on the world and say, well, it's just so much darkness, you know, it's so evil, it's so bad. And notice God's answer to that is, I know. You're supposed to be lights in that. 
We look at it and go, well, it's so dark, they're not going to listen. They're so dark, they're not going to pay attention. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to hear what I have to say. They're going to reject it. God goes, I know. That's not our concern. You shine as lights in the darkness. That's your role. That's your responsibility. That's the task given to us. Not that, okay, we got to make sure everybody's going to obey. That's not our, our ability. All we can do is shine as lights, hold fast to the word of life, proclaim the message. That's the task that is given to us. That is why we exist. And we cannot forget that God has placed us on this mission. It is easy for us to be very comfortable and come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Give each other hugs. We all like each other. It's all good here. There's lots of love. We go home. The other six days, we just kind of do our thing, hole up in the house, come back here on Sunday, and here we are again. And forget the mission. We have a purpose. And the purpose is not that we meet every Sunday. That's not why we're here. The mission is to shine as lights in the darkness. The mission is to be the salt of the earth. The mission is to be in Christ Jesus performing good works. That is our purpose. And I hope that we would see by looking at Moses, we don't have an excuse for not doing everything we can with whatever limitations we have to talk to other people about the good news of Jesus. Which leads to the second very important conclusion that I think we learn from this. The way we are able to do this mission that God has given us to shine as light in the world, to be salt of the earth, to do these good works, we are able to do it because this mission is not about us, but it's about God. Did you notice that every response that God gives to Moses turns the attention away from Moses and back to God? You know, he doesn't say, Moses, no, you really are a good speaker. You're awesome. That's why I chose you. You can talk rings around it. That's not the answer. You know, well, well, uh, you know, if I, I mess, it, mess it up. But it, it, notice every single answer God goes, I'm with you. I'll send your brother with you. I'll tell you what to say. I'm going <laughs> to. It's, it's about God. So much about our fear and so much about our concern about the task that is given to us is because we are so worried that somehow it's about us, that we're going to mess it up, that we're going to make a mistake, and it's going to be because of us that we've ruined something. I felt that way for the longest time. I can't tell you how long I have felt that way, particularly as being a preacher. Like, you know, here's one of your friends or co-workers, and okay, we finally are able to have a Bible study, and we're able to get together, and I'm going to mess it up. And then you realize it's not about you or me and you can't mess it up because it's not about them accepting you it's about the message of Christ they're either going to accept or reject that and that's what God is doing to Moses is saying this isn't about you like you're so strong you're so mighty you're so good you can talk so great it's all being directed back to God And what we have to do then is to remind ourselves that we should not evaluate these things in terms of fleshly ways. 
Because you probably talked to somebody about the gospel and they just totally said no. You thought, well, I'm not good out for this. I'm never going to talk to somebody again. I'm messing up. I, I shouldn't talk to them because that went so badly. I mean, it was just crash and burn and flames and it was just awful and people screaming. And, and so we, we just don't ever want to share the gospel again because it was just such a horror show. And that's not how we're supposed to evaluate. Was Isaiah successful in his task? Was Jeremiah successful in his task? Was Noah successful at his task? Was Jesus successful at his task? And friends, the answer is yes, they were. Because even though people said no, they continued to say the message. That's how you define success. Is not by how many people respond, by how many people say yes, or because you've dazzled them somehow with some kind of brilliant argument. The success comes from you opened your mouth and you shined as a light in the darkness. That's the success. We have to redefine what the success is. So much of us feel feel like failures. Oh, well, nobody listened. Nobody listened to Jeremiah either. And he did perfectly before God in terms of what God had called him to do. He did the task. That's all he could do. Do the task. And no... He wasn't perfect, perfect, and neither are we going to be perfect, but we're going to do the job. And that's all God wants us to do is do the job. That's what God's telling Moses, go do the job. I'm with you. Go do the job. How many times do the scriptures have to tell us that the results are the works of God? Don't Remember when we did 1 Corinthians, first couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians. You know, all these people come, they're eloquent speakers. You know, they can razzle-dazzle. You know, they are eloquent. Boy, they can, they can spin the words. And, and Paul goes, you know what? I'm glad I can't do that and I don't do that because I don't want to detract from the glorious message. You know, sometimes we think we've got to be able to jazz it up somehow. Because, you know, if we can get some pretty pictures and we can hand out some really cool books, it's going to, you know, some kind of thing like that. That's going to make it really happen. And God's always just saying, all you have to do is just talk to people. And that's a success. Just let people know. And that is the success. I hope that would be our our second point that we see from Moses. That would be really an encouragement to us is that we would not look for it in terms of our definition of I'm doing such a great job, but rather that it would be placed upon God. By the way. If we think about evangelism and sharing the gospel and talking to people in terms of, well, I'm doing such a really good job, you're doing a really bad job. Because it can't be about you or about me. It's about God being glorified. One final thing. We've talked about in our study of Exodus is that all of these things are always pointing to Jesus, right? All of the things that are going on in the book of Exodus is all about redemption. Our storybook of how God is going to save his people ultimately from sin and is seen in, in this picture book, this foreshadowing of how God saves Israel through the hands of Moses. And we've seen over and over again this idea that Jesus would come and he would be the new Moses. And notice that Moses is going to come and he's going to operate with signs. He's going to have miracles that he's going to be able to perform. This is what Moses is able to do. And this was to be the expectation of when the Messiah when the Christ came, he would be like Moses and he could do these wonders, which is interesting because the gospel of John particularly highlights that idea. Remember in John chapter one and in verse 50, as Jesus is talking to Nathaniel and here's this concern. How do you know me? As Jesus says, I I, I saw you under the, 
the, the, the, the, the tree there. And he's blown away by that. And Jesus says there in John 1 verse 50, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater signs than these? And what's Jesus alluding to, but saying, this, I, I'm the new Moses. I'm going to wield all kinds of wonders and signs. that's going to show that I've been sent from God, just as Moses was given all of these signs to show he was sent from God. And then what happens right after that, but you come into chapter two and chapter two is this first miracle of the water to wine. Jesus did this, his first sign, then Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. You're seeing the parallel of Moses going to come work the signs people are supposed to believe. When Jesus comes, he's going to work the sign and his people are going to believe. And so that's what happens in the New Testament is that his people will listen. And that's what Jesus later on will say. My people, they're my sheep. They hear my voice and they follow me. I hope you'll be encouraged to the task. Because if we see people like Peter and Moses and Paul Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of these people who had fears and concerns about their task and yet carried out their task faithfully anyway in the face of all of them, that we would have the same comfort and the same courage that God is with us and success is shining as lights in the dark world around us. We're going to sing a song now, and in this song we invite you to consider your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that if you are not a follower of him, that you would take the opportunity this very evening to turn away from your sins, to become a follower of him by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're ready to do that, won't you come now while we stand and while we